Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. So Ephesians chapter number 6, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. And the word of the Lord says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the life-giving word of the Lord. Pastor and professor Brian Chapel once wrote, If we love our children too much to require them to do what is right, then we will not really... We have not really loved them enough. Before we get started this morning, actually, I wanted to to say that I am very grateful to you that you have entrusted me to be your pastor. I'm grateful for the opportunity to serve you. It's my sincere desire that you understand that with all my heart, I love you, each one of you. And uh, when Johnny says... At the end of every service that you were loved and you were prayed for, that is the absolute truth. Because I do love you and I do pray for you, just as he does. And what I want you to understand this morning is because I love you, I love you enough to not waste your time on Sunday mornings. I love you enough to not play with your egos or fill your heads full of sweet-sounding words that are empty. I love you enough not to scratch your itching ears, but instead, rather, to pierce your heart with the truth of the Word of God. We are in a dramatic and important series. We talk about dramatic, important things here because I believe with all my heart that me loving you requires that I tell you the truth because the truth is really what we need. We need to hear it over and over again. We need to know and hear the Word of God and what it says. And even if it makes us uncomfortable, even if it hurts our feelings, even if... Something is said that makes us upset. Even if we've heard it a hundred times before, we need the truth. And it's my commitment to give that truth to you. And even more than that, as much as I love you, I love God even more. And he has commanded me to speak the truth in love and to never be ashamed. And he commands me to always proclaim the truth out loud, which I will absolutely endeavor to do because I love God and because I love you. And so with that, we're in the fifth part of our series titled... Saving a generation. And if you have wandered into this conversation today um, and not been here for the last four weeks, you might feel like that you have walked in on a conversation that's already started. And the reason why you feel that way is because you have, right? You have already walked into a conversation where we have already been talking about a number of things. And uh, so my suggestion for you today is to certainly listen attentively today. And then when you're done here, go home and listen to the other messages in this series. That way you will have a much better handle and a context in what we're dealing with in this series. And the addresses to our SoundCloud page and our church website are in your bulletin. So, uh, but in the meantime, what I will do is give you a real quick thumbnail sketch of where we've been and what we've talked about so we can address the text that's before us today. It's been said by... Many that we are one generation away from the Christian faith becoming extinct in the Western world. And what we discovered is that this is really not an understatement. It's not an emotional appeal by pastors to get people in church. It's the truth. Because 75% of Americans do profess 
to be Christians, but only 31% of Americans actually practice their faith. And really only 18% of Americans actually have a worldview that's shaped by the lens of Scripture. And even more concerning than that is the fact that Generation Z, the next generation, is rejecting faith at a rate that's double that of every other generation before it. 6% of all other generations, 6% of those populations actually profess to be atheists, whereas 13% of Generation Z, this youngest generation, have claimed to have no faith in God at all. And this is a staggering and a troubling trend, which leads to the question that we've been asking is, how do we get here? How did this happen? And in this series, we've discovered there's a number of factors to this, and we've discussed them in detail. Things like the church growth movement of the 20th century, where the focus of, of church has been on numbers and getting people into seats rather than making disciples. And then there's also the adoption of the materialistic philosophy of postmodernism, where people believe that all there is is the material world around them. And then there is the rise of the digital age. If there's anything that has changed the world, it's digital technology. And it's changed things for our children in ways that we can't even fully appreciate and imagine. The redefinition also and the compromise of the institution of marriage is a contributing factor. Not to mention the destruction of the idea that marriage is a permanent union between a husband and a wife. And then there is the fact that many people, many parents will not give their children certain choices such as they will not give their children a choice whether or not they attend school, but then they will turn around and give their children of every age the option whether or not they will go to hell. And we talked about all of this at great length in this series. And we talked about that uh, what we need to do to rescue this generation really comes down to, um, to the gospel the, the solution to this enormous challenge is the gospel because Paul, the apostle, says that the gospel is the power of God to save both the individual and, gener- and a generation. We need to, meet, to make disciples of all those around us knowing and sharing and living out the gospel. And the best place for us to do this is at home within the circle of our greatest influence. Yes, we go and make disciples of the nations, but we must start first here at home. We need to share the gospel and make disciples of our children, our parents, and, and, and our friends, and our neighbors, and our co-workers, and our community members. And, 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 and we talked about that, that there are specific things that we can do. And we talked about many applications uh, to how we can achieve that. And my suggestion is, again, go back and listen to what you have missed if um, you're not familiar with that. But today, <clears throat> there is one factor that we have talked about early on that bears a deeper examination. And it's certainly um, something that we've talked about, but we really need to look at it a little bit more up close today because I believe it's one of the most dangerous trends happening in the world around us. And and that trend is the promotion and the rise of anti-authoritarian attitudes in this next generation. As we said before, we're raising a generation of, of, of young people who have no respect for anyone. A generation who spits in the face of all authority. A generation who thinks that simply they have a right to disrespect and ignore any authority figure. And church family, we have to understand how devastating this trend is. Because this trend leads to catastrophic consequences. First of all, it's led to the erosion of respect for any form of authority. Children are being taught every turn to rebel against and reject all authority figures. They're being taught that it's okay to be defiant. They're being taught that it's okay to resort to physical violence. They're being taught that it's okay to be vile and rude and completely uncivil. 
And this has contributed to the diminished respect for trusted institutions. Institutions like schools, service organizations, and, and churches. Believe me, I know for a fact that there is no perfect institution in our world. But there are many institutions that we have trusted and looked to that have helped us to create and maintain a prospering civil society like schools and universities and churches. Right? Generation Z is being taught to challenge authority of, of all those institutions and all those who work inside those institutions. And not simply just question authority, but to be outright defiant. One of the most troubling developments in school today is the rise of violent behavior towards teachers and staff members by students. More and more students think that it's okay to threaten and inflict physical harm on teachers and staff members. We read about it and we see it all the time in the news. There was recently a story back east where a teacher was trying to get his class under order and took a student's phone. And the student was in his face, bumping his chest against him, threatening him with physical violence if he wouldn't give his phone back. And nobody did anything about it. This willful defiance also leads to a lack of respect for the authority of the Bible. Because if children and young adults have no respect for people and they have no respect for institutions, they will certainly not have any respect for the authority of a book. Especially a book that claims to have authority over their lives. A book that, that is, that where you're expected to live and act a certain way. This generation does not want to hear that. They do not want anyone or anything telling them what to do. Which then leads to a complete disrespect for law enforcement. This generation believes that it's okay to ignore orders of those who have entrusted with keeping the law. They believe it's okay to resist arrest, to fight against police officers. They think it's okay to spit and curse and, and to assault those who risk their lives in order to enforce the law. This trend is troubling because not only is it a picture of how uncivil we have become, but it is inherently dangerous. This defiance is physically dangerous. This, it's physically dangerous for, for our neighborhoods. It's physically dangerous for, for people in our community. It's physically dangerous for students at school. It's physically dangerous for teachers and leaders and those who serve. But it's particularly dangerous for the, for, for the perpetrators. Because let's be clear. If you resist arrest and you get physical with a police officer who's trying to do his job while at the same time trying to stay alive, you risk losing your own life. And we see it happen. The tragedies that happen. Young people refusing to obey legal orders given to them by law enforcement officers who refuse then to comply and fight back and then get injured and killed in the process. And believe me, I don't care what your political views are. We've trained this next generation to risk their lives because of their willful anti-authoritarian defiance. But not only is it physically dangerous, it is also spiritually dangerous because where do you think this comes from this defiance this these these anti-authoritarian attitudes they don't come from self-respect they don't come from individual liberty they come from the fall of man the rebellion against authority comes right from the fall of man because because that's when it happened in the garden of eden God created mankind. He blessed them. He gave them all that they ever needed. He gave them all they could ever want. And God gave them one rule. Do not eat of the tree. But what did they do? They rebelled. God, mankind spat in the face of God's authority. 
And so when you see a teenager puff up his or her chest to a teacher in a threatening manner, what you're seeing is Adam and Eve spitting in the face of God. When you see a person refuse to comply with the lawful commands of police officers, you're seeing Adam and Eve openly defying the righteous commands of God. It is all related. And brothers and sisters, this rebellion will have spiritual consequences. The fact is that because of Adam and Eve's defiance, sin and death entered the world. And likewise, this authoritarian trend is a rebellion against God himself. And as a result, there will be consequences. There will be justice. There will be judgment. Paul tells us very clearly in Romans. He says, therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. This anti-authoritarian trend is both physically and spiritually dangerous. And it also has contributed to this next generation rejecting God. And like most of the, these other issues, it's really very easy for us to kind of take a step back and, and, and look with shock and horror. Those people are crazy, right? Those, those people are out of control, right? That generation has lost its mind. It's easy for us to look at that behavior Right? In our minds and create this distance between us. Right? Where, where it's, 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 it's us and them. In this process, it's easy for us to see us versus them. That, that all this is out there. That this is an out there issue. But it has, we, we, we can believe that it has nothing to do with here. That it has nothing to do with me. That for some reason that this is a society thing. That this is a cultural thing. For many of us, we think this... This problem is rooted in, in social issues and educational issues and, and cultural issues. But the root of this problem is not any of those things. The root of this problem is parental. The root of this problem is all about how this generation is being parented. The problem begins with us parents. And if, if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're an aunt or an uncle or someone who's a guardian, or someone who really has influence in the lives of children, you just might be contributing to this problem. You see, not only is this generation, the helicopter generation, where parents and guardians hover over the children, watching over every little thing that they do, and, and being involved in every facet of their lives, this generation is overprotected to the point that they're even being overprotected against the, the rightful authorities in their lives. You see, the problem is we as parents and guardians are, are really trying to train up our kids with the wrong goal in mind. We seem, the, the, goal, the, glow for, the, the goal for us seems to be that we want to raise children who are perpetually happy and have, have really high self-esteem and never ever experience any form of pain ever. And because of that, we march into the principal's office when the teacher gets a bit harsh with our child because of their behavior. Or we'll march onto the field and we'll cuss out the coach because of their playtime isn't enough in the game. Or we'll go right to Facebook and we will then like call out parents of kids who seem to be picking on our children. Even though we don't always know the full story. But, we, but we're going to accuse them anyway because what we believe and what we assume is that our kid's the victim. And our children never, ever, 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 ever do anything wrong. Over and over and over again, our children see us going out and visibly confronting any and all potential 
threats to our children's momentary happiness, including those who rightfully have authority in their lives. And we do this because our parental goals are wrong. The goal isn't to raise children who are perpetually happy, who have no scars and never experience difficulty. That's not the goal. The goal is actually to raise healthy adults who can honor God by standing up on their own two feet and deal with the difficulties that life throws at them. The goal is to raise healthy, competent, God-honoring, contributing, respectful adults. That is the goal. But instead, what we see is a generation, a high percentage of a generation, not all of them, but a high percentage of a generation that is self-entitled and self-important and self-absorbed, grown-up adolescents who won't fully, completely attain adulthood, who cannot handle anyone telling them what to do. Hence the 30-year-old man that just recently had to be evicted by his parents out of his house. That's what we see. That's a generation that we're raising. We're raising a generation of rude, uncivil grown-ups who have no respect for authority, especially if that authority interferes with their sense of happiness or their sense of self-entitlement. And this is a factor. This is a factor to us losing this generation. Because here's the truth. If we're going to save Generation Z, we must teach them. We must teach them to obey those who are in authority. If we're going to have any hope to save this next generation, we must teach them to respect those in authority. Now understand, let me, let me just tell you what I'm not saying here. I'm not saying our children should, should learn to be doormats. I'm not saying that we should teach our children to allow themselves to be bullied, abused, coerced, or taken advantage of. What I am saying is we need to teach, our, teach this generation that God has ordained authority figures in their lives and they need to respect that authority and obey the legitimate God-given authority that, that has been placed there. And the solution to this problem, like everything else, doesn't begin for us out there. It begins in here. It begins at home. It begins in our neighborhoods. It begins in our community. We need to teach this generation, beginning in the circle of our greatest influence. We need to reach those we have the greatest influence with. We need to begin at home with our own children, with our grandchildren, with our nieces and our nephews. We need to begin with the kids in the church. We need to begin with the kids in our neighborhood. We need to begin with the kids that, that you have direct influence with. But most importantly... It must begin at home, and it must begin with parents. That's how we save this generation. It begins at home with, with obedience to parents. That's why the Bible actually speaks about this issue. In fact, look with me again at the text. Ephesians chapter 6. Now, before we jump too far in here, let me just let me set this up. See, Paul writes his letters, like he always does, in two parts. Paul usually begins his letter by explaining um, and addressing some theological problem or explaining some theological truth related to the gospel. And then later on in the letter, he gives the reader practical application. In other words, he explains to them how to live in light of the truth. So the first half is usually theology. What do you need to know? And then the last part is practical application. What do you need to do in light of what you know? And so this text that we have today is found in the practical application part of the letter. 
right? Or it's, it's instructions to the church and how to live as Christians in light of the truth. And the truth that Paul's been dealing with, the theological truth that he's been going over in the first part of the letter is the unity of the faith or the unity of the body of Christ. He's been talking about the flourishing of the church community. People living together, people serving each other, people, people building each other up in love and thriving together as a community of believers to the glory of God. That's the point of Paul's letter. And then in the second part, Paul then talks about how we need to live, how we need to, to behave in order to achieve that unity. And so then in chapter 4, Paul talks about the authority structures and the leadership positions that God has invested in the local church. It says that he's given pastors and teachers and, um, and prophets and apostles for the building up of the church. God has ordained leadership positions in the church to train and equip the believers for the work of the ministry. So all believers, all of us, are working together to build up the church in love. And then in chapter 5, Paul explains that Christ followers are to walk in love and turn away from sin. That we are to submit ourselves to the authority of the word of God and reject sin... So as not to bring harm to themselves and to commit to the community of believers. And then Paul gets really specific after that and begins to give instructions to specific groups of people, explaining to them how to live in relationship to each other. As we talked about two weeks ago, he begins with husbands and wives. Remember, he said, wives, submit yourself to your husbands as to the Lord. And husbands, submit your, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Right? And we unpacked what this meant. And we understand that God expects for husbands and wives to submit to his authority and to live according to his commands. And then after that, later on, we will see that Paul gives instructions to people in the way that they relate to each other at work. He talks specifically about employers and employees. That employees are to respect their bosses and employers are to treat their, their, their employees with dignity and respect. And right in the middle of this conversation between couples and, and, and employees, he has this conversation and it, that he gives direction to children. Right? He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, the first thing I want you to understand is that this is this admonition for children to obey their parents. Notice, this is not a suggestion. It's a command. This is a God-given, God-ordained declaration. Children, obey your parents. And then according to the author Tim Chelles, Paul gives us in this text not only this command, but three essential reasons why the children need to obey. And in fact, the first one he says is that nature demands it. He says that children are to obey for the simplest reason that it is right. That's what the text says. Obey your children for this is right. God has created human beings in such a way that the law is written on their hearts. There are certain truths that we know simply because we're human, because we are created in the image of God. And one of the truths that, is, that we know is that children are to obey their parents. For every people group that's ever existed in history, they've insisted upon this, except today when we seem to be wanting to suppress that truth. So the first and foundation, most foundational reason why children are to obey their parents is God 
intends for it to work that way, right? It's the very nature that we're created with. Now, the second reason is the law demands it. Again, Tim Chowley says, children, obey your parents because, because it's a particular requirement of the law. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Right? This commandment bridges actually the first four, which reflect our relationship with God, and it bridges the, the final five, which reflect our relationship with others. And most scholars agree that it's placed here because of the unique role that parents play, a role in which that they represent God to their children. To honor and obey parents is to honor and obey God. You see, God has given children parents to teach them and to show them how to honor and respect and obey those who have God-given authority. When, when children obey their parents, they are obeying God implicitly. When, when children disobey their parents, they're disobeying God. And if allowed to disobey, they're learning that it's okay to disobey God and all those who have God-given authority. So nature demands our children's obedience. The law demands our children's obedience. And so does the gospel. The gospel demands that obedience. Again, Tim Challies points out, children are to obey the, their, their parents in the Lord. This is an important point because even children are to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And then because of their personal relationship to him, to joyfully do all things that bring glory to his name. And obedience to the word of God and obedience to God's commands brings him glory, which means children who obey their parents bring glory to God. Tim goes on to say that the gospel assures our children they can joyfully obey, obey their parents and and the gospel gives them the motivation to actually do so. That's why one of the first evidences of a child's conversion is obedience to mom and dad. If your child is a Christ follower, it should be evidence, evident in their life by the way they're obedient to you. Not to say that they're going to be perfect. Let's just get that right off the table. Because that's not going to happen this side of heaven. But they will understand that following your leadership and obeying you is evidence that they have been saved by Christ. So you see, Paul not only commands children to obey their parents, he also tells us in the text that their obedience is demanded by nature, by the law, and the gospel. So this isn't optional. This is a direct commandment from God. And moreover, it's, it's, it's one that promises a blessing if obeyed. But it also, one that offers a promise by implication, if not obeyed. Because that's how God's law has worked. Following his instruction brings blessing, but disobedience always brings a curse. Let's look at this again. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise. I want you to see that. So what Paul says is there's a promise related to this, to this commandment. And what Paul is talking about is the promise that was found in Exodus 20, and it's repeated in Deuteronomy 5.16, where Moses says, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord God has given you. Honor, it says, your father and mother. Learn obedience from them. Learn respect and for authority from them. Learn to respect authority and leadership and, and your days will be long, right? Which, or in other words, you, you will have a long and productive life in the land. You will have favor, in essence, in the world around you. You will find success in your work. You will be blessed in your interactions with the world. The truth is, life is demonstrably better for those who 
who respect authority. So children learn this by honoring your parents. Is really the essence of what Paul and Moses is getting at. Obedience ultimately leads to joy. Obedience leads to peace. Obedience to God, given authority, leads to blessing. And the opposite of that is also true. In fact, if obedience comes with a promise, then so does disobedience. In fact, Moses in Deuteronomy 28, 28, 15 helps us to see that when he says, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, your God, and his commandments by implication or the voice of of the Lord, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. You see, throughout the Bible, we will see there's a consistent theme that if you will follow where God leads, there's a blessing. If you, re- if you rebel against him, there's not a blessing. There's a curse. And we even see that in the gospel. The, it, when we obey the gospel, when we trust in Christ and put our faith in him, we have life. When we refuse to obey the gospel, if we don't believe in him and trust in him, then we have the wrath of God. God's commandments and directives always bring with them some sort of consequences, whether they're they're good consequences or bad. Obedience leads to the good ones. uh, um, Disobedience leads to the bad ones. And we see that in the world around us, in the children that are disobedient to their parents. We see that. In fact, children who are defiant and rebellious to their parents and other authority structures are demonstrably more unhappy throughout the rest of their life than than children who are obedient. Not to mention they suffer at a higher level of deeper emotional problems and anxiety and depression than than do children who are taught to obey. Disobedient children lack lack self-control, which puts them in continual conflict with others around them. These children will not respect their parents or other authority figures, which makes the problem worse. And even more, they will end up selfish, and willful and generally unpleasant company to be around. And so more and more people tend to reject them. And one of the side effects is they tend to lack the social skills like empathy and patience and knowing how to share, which prevents them from really creating deep, meaningful friendships and relationships. Children who grow up disobedient are defiant and more likely to engage in negative behaviors that are harmful and potentially dangerous for themselves and for others as well. That's why... Defiant children are more prone to violence. Disobedient children are more prone to giving and receiving violence. According to a survey by the BBC, poor parenting, which includes the lack of discipline, poor parenting like this that that lacks the, the, the child's obedience is a dominant factor in the rise of school violence. Children who are taught to obey tend to be more violent towards other people. And and the results is they tend they tend to incur the violence of others. In, re- in return. And because of that, they're more, because they're more violent, they're, they tend to be more prone to be jailed. Disobedience and defiance tends to lead people up against the law. And because of that, they're prone to be arrested. And they're prone to be more aggressive when they are confronted by law enforcement, which means they are more likely to be injured or killed in confrontation with law enforcement. This is something that we see more and more of. Some, for some reason, these children and adults have been taught that it's okay to, active, to actively be aggressive and defiant towards law enforcement, to run, to fight back. And again, I don't care what your political views are. It is unwise and unreasonable and it's certainly unchristian to refuse to obey a lawful command by a law enforcement official. It is absolutely unwise to resist arrest. It's just unwise. 
When a person decides to become aggressive and violent and defiant towards law enforcement officials, they're taking their life in their own hands. This kind of defiance is not a blessing. It's a curse. It's a confis- and the consequences of it can be devastating. But more to the point, disobedient children are much more likely to reject God. <clears throat> because if they're not going to, because they're, if they're not going to follow God, if they're not going to obey their parents, they're, they're, Why would they want to obey the commandments of the Bible if they refuse to obey the authorities in their lives that God has put there to lead them? Why would they bow to the authority of Scripture if they rebel against all forms of authority? You see, not only is this next generation denying God at the highest rate in in history, they're also rejecting the authority of Scripture at the highest rate in history. Millennials and Generation X are more likely to deny the sufficiency of the Bible, the accuracy of the text, and the authority of the Word of God. And the thing is, you cannot reject the Word of God without simultaneously rejecting God. You cannot reject God's commandments and not reject God Himself. To disobey the Word of God is to disobey God. So children who are not taught to obey are more likely to reject God and his word. And as we talked about, the consequences of rejecting God are catastrophic. Because we're not just talking about a black eye. We're not just talking about, you know, some jail time. We're not even talking about being killed. We're talking about standing before a holy and righteous, just God who will judge them. And his awesome and terrible wrath abides on them. We're talking about the prospects of hell. That's what this anti-authoritarian climate is leading to. It's leading more and more of the younger generation to reject God and ending up in hell for eternity. It leads us to losing this generation. And my question for you is simply this. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with more and more of the youngest generation rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ and stepping off into eternity without salvation? Are you okay with us training and teaching the next generation that life is all about them and no one has a right to tell them what they ought to do and that they should be defined to anyone who gets in the way of their unhappiness or of their happiness? Because that's what we're doing. That's what we're teaching them. When we don't make our children behave, when we don't make them obey all authority figures, When we don't discipline our children, that's what we're doing. We're teaching them ultimately to be defiant towards God. That's why if you love your children, you will teach them to obey. And the Bible is pretty clear about that. Whenever, you know, um, in, in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son. It's very graphic language here. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but who but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. If we love our children, if we want good things for them, we will teach them to obey us and teach them to obey all other authority figures in their lives that God has entrusted to them. In fact, implicit in this command in Ephesians, for us, for your children to obey, implicit in that command is a command from God for you to require them to obey. As John Piper so clearly states, it makes no sense that God would require children to obey parents and yet not require parents to require obedience from their children. It is part of the job to teach children to glory of a happy, submissive spirit 
to authorities that God has put there in, 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 in the first place. Parents represent God to small children, and it's deadly to train children to ignore the commands of God. So, mom and dad, your job is not to ask your children to obey. Your job is not to request your children to obey. It is your job to demand and insist and require that they obey. When God says, children, obey your parents, you can hear the echo of God saying to parents, you better make them. It's your job to make them obey. It's not your job to make sure that they always have happiness every moment of their life. It's not your job to keep them from experiencing frustration and hurt and rejection. It's not your job to fight all their battles. It's not your job to wrap them up in bubble wrap so they never ever experience any pain. It is not your job to teach them to reject everyone around them who makes them upset. It is your job to teach them to honor God in their actions and their attitudes. And obedient children who grow up to be obedient and happily submissive adults, they honor God. Which means it's your job to demand and require that your children obey. That's your job. And that goes for mom and dad. That goes for grandma and grandpa. That goes for aunts and uncles. That goes for ministry leaders and teachers in the classroom and all manner of guardians. It even goes for, for, for you neighbors. Your job is to require that the children in the circle of your influence, the people that you have influence over, it is your job to require that they learn to be obedient. Your job is to teach obedience to the children that you have influence over which is to obey their parents, which is to obey their teachers, which is to obey law enforcement, which is to obey the rules and the law of the land and the word of God, and most importantly, to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is your job. That is all of our job. That's how we save this next generation, is that we require obedience of our children in the circles of our influence. Now, here comes the hard part. Because how? Right? Because I know for many people, especially dads, we hear the words, well, we need to make these kids obey. And what we think is, all right, now it's time to get tough. Now it's time for us to be drill sergeants with our kids. It's time to lay down the law. It's time to knock a few heads. It's time, you know, to get serious. Well, fortunately for us, this command for our children to obey is followed by some instructions to parents, particularly us dads. Notice what Paul says here. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that, you, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And then notice what he says. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. What? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. You see, this is one of them grace and truth passages. You know, we talk about, you know, walking in grace and truth. Jesus was filled full of grace and truth, which means that we need to have lots of grace for people, but at the same time tell them the truth. We need to tell people the truth. We need to have grace for them. And that's a tension that's hard to walk in. This is what Paul is saying here too. We need to insist that, that, that our kids obey, but we need to do it in a way that doesn't cause them to freak out and, and, and become emotionally harmful to them. You see, training our children to obey is not simply, you know, and suddenly becoming tough and uncompromising, though that there are times for that. It's not a matter of us being loud and forceful, though, that there is also times for that. 
And it's not a matter of us punishing our children and swatting them on the behinds, though there might be times for that. Training our children is a matter of discipline and instruction. It's a matter of loving discipline and instruction. You see, training our children to obey is not rooted in, the, in, in negative influences like guilt. I mean, let me just tell you, if you want to mess your kid up for the rest of his life or her life, is use guilt on them. Guilt should never, ever, ever be used as a means to discipline children or to make them mine. Guilt is very effective on young kids, but the problem is, is it gives them a sense of anxiety. It can cause them to grow up with a complex where they are always feeling guilty, and it creates all kinds of psychological, psychological issues in them later on. It's damaging. Guilt should never, ever be used to teach your children to obey. Neither should abuse, either physical or emotional or sexual abuse. None of that is okay. Our children should not fear for their safety when it comes to our relationship with them. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need corporal punishment because I believe with all my heart that if a child needs a swat or two, that we should be happy to give it to them. Because we as parents need to let them know we were willing to go to great lengths to enforce the rules. But they should never be afraid of us physically like we're going to really damage them. Abuse is never okay. And neither is bribery. And we all kind of default to this one, I think. Because it works at least a little bit. The problem is with bribery is that you just don't have enough money for that. Right? Because that's what happens is bribery always requires more. You, get it, you bribe them now for this, and the next time they want twice as much. And ultimately, it just keeps growing and growing. And finally, you're just at an impasse. And worse, it teaches your children that obedience is really requiring compensation instead of actually teaching your children the joy of obedience. So guilt and abuse and bribery right, have no place to train your children. Training your children must begin somewhere else. And I believe the place to begin is always with the word of the Lord. Our training and teaching of our children must always be rooted in the precepts and the teachings of the word of God. Paul says to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. You see, the point of parenting, the whole point of teaching your children is to, to raise them in the instruction of the Lord, which means we need to make them Christ followers, which means training our children needs to be rooted in discipleship. Our most important parenting job and as, a, as a parent or caregiver or guardian and, and is, to, is to help every child, hear me, every child in the circle of our influence to come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and then teach them how to follow Jesus thereafter. We're to apply the Great Commission at home and make disciples and, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them all that Christ has commanded us to do. And believe me, if we were to do that, if we do all of that, we can change the tide of what's happening in this next generation. But it's not always so easy as that. That's why we also must embrace tra uh, that training our children requires us to use discipline. Because there's a fact that your children will need correction at some point. You will need at times to take things away from them. You will need at times to strip away privileges. There will be times you need to give them a swat. There will be times you will need to say, absolutely not. Don't say it again. 
And in some extreme cases, some parents might even need to call law enforcement and have their child taken to jail. It could happen. But this is the part that we as parents, we want to lay down on. We do not want to make our children cry. We do not want them to be angry with us. We don't want them to withhold their affection from us. We don't like that uncomfortable feeling of when you say something and they give you that look and they storm off. I once had a really good friend of mine call me and ask me my advice for his sister. He had a niece who was in big trouble. She'd been sneaking around at the age of 15 and she was very, very, very sexually active. And she'd been participating in things with boys that her mom didn't even know existed. I mean, it was really, really a bad situation. And mom is asking, what do I do? I have no idea how to deal with this. And so they asked me what my opinion was. And I said, her social life's over as far as I'm concerned. No friends, no phone, no activities, no sports, right? No boyfriends. Like your life goes to school and home. That's it. There's nothing. There's nothing else outside of that, right? And my buddy's like, you know, she really thought about that. She thought about taking those things away, but she's worried. I'm like, about what? She's afraid to hurt her friendship with her daughter. Her friendship with her daughter. Brothers and sisters, if there's anything you learn from me in this message today, is this. Your job is not, to, is, is, is not to be your child's friend. It's to be their parent. Your job is to be their parent and not their friend. And hear me on this. If you value your child's friendship more than you value their obedience, you will fail them as a parent. God did not give you a child so that you have a friend. God did not give you a child to give you a a, a warm feeling in your heart. He didn't give you a child so you could fill that lonely spot in your life. God gave you a child to raise and teach and discipline and train up in the ways of the Lord. And if you want to be their friend then help them to grow up to be obedient and God-fearing as adults and you'll have a great friend. My oldest son is a man that I have come to have deep respect for. He's a man who, who loves his country. He loves his wife. He loves God. And he's a good friend to me. In fact, one of my best friends. But please understand, even now, he is a full-grown man, but before I am his friend. I am his dad. And that never changes. And when I was young, I had to discipline him. Even when he didn't like it. And he knew how to make me feel uncomfortable about it with his little huffs and puffs. Parents, we must always require obedience out of our children. When we train our children to obey, right? And and when when we do that, when when we refuse to make them obey, We're setting up for, for trouble. We must always be willing to apply discipline. Proverbs again, 13, 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but whoever loves him is diligent to discipline him. Using discipline to train children in obedience is both loving and God honoring. Training up your children to obey is about the word of God. It's about discipleship. It's about discipline. And it is also about modeling the way. One of the things that you've heard me talk about in this series and you will hear me continue to talk about over and over again is modeling the way your children more attention pay to what you do than what you say. Which means if you want your children to walk in obedience then you must also model the way 
You must lead by example, which means two things. Number one, you must model obedience yourself. If you want your children to be obedient, you must yourself be obedient, which means your children need to see you obedient to God. They need to see you obedient to the police officer who pulls you over instead of you giving them an attitude. They need to see you obedient to your boss. They need to witness you being obedient to those people who have authority in your life. Your children need to see you talk the talk, but also walk the walk. Which means then, you need to support your kids' as teachers' decision regarding grades and discipline. And you need to support your kids' your kids' coaches' decision on playtime and conditioning. And it also means, and hold on to your hats, okay? It means you need to support the game officials who, who, who make the calls and the decisions and who enforce the penalties that affect your child's life in that moment because they have authority in your child's life right then and there. Now, understand, you might not think things are fair. And if you disagree with those adults, you, have a right, you, can, you can disagree with them. But the right way to handle that is to do it in private calmly away from your children. But you need to model obedience. And secondly, you need to model the gospel. You need to be living the you need to be a living model of the gospel to your children. Which is what we talked about before. And what that means is standing up for marriage, both inside and outside of marriage, but it also means that we need to embody the gospel in our daily living. And the way that we do that is we walk in grace and mercy and forgiveness visibly for our children to see. Our children need to see us forgive. And they need to see us show mercy, especially for them, because they will need it. Our children need to see us truly forgive other people. Our children need to see us live our lives shaped by the hope that we have because of the grace and mercy and forgiveness we've been given. Our children must see us living in a way that demonstrates our hope really rests on the righteousness of God and Christ. Which means us taking our children and dropping them off at church and then leaving, that is not going to get it done. We must bring them to church. Your children must see you in the word. They must see you pray. They must witness, witness you worshiping God. Children must see that. Church family, this right here is how we turn the tide. This is how we win the lost. This is how we save the next generation. It's about walking the walk and modeling the way and teaching our children to happily walk in submission to the obedience of the authorities that God has put in their, their lives. So my question for you is now that we know all this, what are we going to do about it? The next generation is in your hands. So what are you going to do with what you have learned? Because information without action ultimately is worthless. We're just taking a seminar then. We're not called to just be hearers of the word. We're called to be doers of the word also. So what are you going to do? Now, I wish this was one of those things. I can just give you 10 steps and leave you out of here. And you can go put something on your mirror and that's great. But that's not one of the, this is not one of those things. So what I have to offer you is, is suggestions, and I've got three of them. The first one, if you're not a believer in Christ, if you have not actually put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ, if you've not made that decision in your life sometime, somewhere, 
to where you have actually turned to him and repented of your sins and believed on Jesus Christ. If you've not done that, then that's the first thing you need to do. Everything else is just really immaterial. Until you get that right, nothing else is going to matter. And so if you are here and that's you, then you need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And if you're ready to do that, then come talk to me after the service. Uh, you can talk to me or you can talk to Johnny. You can talk to Roy or you can talk to, uh, to Gene or you can, even, you can talk to, to even Gary or Fernando. Any one of those men can help you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We can walk you through that. That's number one. Number two is if you are a believer and you are a parent, then what you need to do is you need to examine your relationship with your child and your, or your children. And you just need to ask yourself very simply, how can I help them grow in obedience to me? How can I help them grow in obedience to God and grow in obedience to the authority structures in their lives? Right? And then you need to seek God's wisdom about that. You need to go to God and ask him, Lord, how can I change this? Again, this isn't one of those things where we're going to give you a list of 25 things to do. Maybe one thing, right? One of the things that we decided on, you know, a long time ago with our children is they're just not going to have a choice whether or not they read the Bible. That's how we're going to help instill obedience in them. That's how we decided that we're going to help them to grow is that they don't have a choice every day. Are you in the word yet? Are you in the word yet? Are you in the word yet? Yes, dad, I'm in the word. What'd you learn? What'd you learn? What'd you learn? We, that is the step that we've taken. And I'm asking you to examine your heart and examine your relationship with your kids and ask yourself, what does that look like? Now, some of you, it might be, I just need to just say, all right, when my kid slams a the door, then they lose stuff, all right? Or if my kid doesn't turn off the Xbox, when I say turn off the Xbox, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to pull the cord out, I'm going to take a pair of clippers, I'm going to cut the cord in half. It might be drastic like that. I don't know what your situation is, but, but ultimately there's something you can do to help your child become more obedient. The third thing is if you're a believer, but you don't have children, I don't want you to sit here and say, well, this has been a waste of my time today because this doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does. Because there are children in your life somewhere. Whether it's not your own children, maybe they're grandchildren, or maybe they're nieces and nephews, or siblings, or neighbors' kids, or maybe they're students that you have influence over, or, or you have friends who have kids that you have direct contact with. You have kids in your lives, and I think that you should spend some time before God and ask Him, show me how I can help. How I can help teach this next generation obedience whether through my own actions, whether it's through my words, or whether it's through how I support their parents and other people and other authority figures in their lives. How can I help with this, Lord? Get alone with God and ask him. And here's the thing is once you understand and see where you need to do this, then do it. Because we're one generation away from the church becoming extinct in our country. And the call to save this generation is a call for all of us. Not just pastors, not just deacons, all of us. We all need to be involved to train up this new generation in the way of the Lord. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the admonition. And I thank you, Lord God, for the conviction that you have given me to walk this out of my own life. I'll be the first to admit, Lord, I do not like to make my kids cry. I don't like to make my kids angry with me. I don't even sometimes like even the hassle of having to deal with it. I just sometimes it's easier just let them have a pass. But Lord, I realize that my primary concern is to make them God-fearers and God-honorers. 
And the root of that's going to be obedience. And so, Father, I pray that you'd strengthen my heart to be that to my, my children. I pray that you would also strengthen the hearts of all those who have children or grandchildren, or nieces or nephews or, or kids in any form in their lives. That, Father, that all of us would stand up and be examples, visible examples for all the kids around us to see that we are indeed obedient and willfully and happily submissive to the authorities that God has placed in our lives. And I pray, Father, that we'd walk that out. Your word exhorts us to walk that out. All of us, every one of us, to be obedient to the authorities in our lives. And let us, Lord, be an example for these children. Let us turn the tide. Let us lose no more children to violence because of their willful defiance. Let us, Lord God, teach them to respect and grow and and to find the, the hope that comes with knowing Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd raise up a people in this church who are passionate for your name and are willing to go out and storm the gates of hell for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.